Welcome to the Better Mission Trips podcast from Standards of Excellence and Short-Term Mission. I'm your host, Tori Ruark, and we believe that mission trips can and should be better. In fact, statistics suggest that maybe as many as 80% of short-term missionaries are going out under-trained and under-prepared. They're going out with the right heart, but they're not going out in the right way. In this podcast, we're going to discover together how to combine the right heart with the right way for God's glory. All right, Ron and Star, uh, we'd love to have you share uh, a unique meal that you've had. Uh, it could be because of the environment. It could be what you ate. It could be uh, involved in a mission trip, or it could be just kind of a family tradition that you guys have. Well, I'll go first. Um, when you asked me that question about a meal, and of course, our lives for the past 12 to 20 years have been nothing but mission. So, but one of the first uh, meals, not first meals, but we took a trip to Kenya, and on that particular trip, I had the chance to sit down with uh, a number of pastors in the Nairobi area. Uh, it was a great fellowship, enjoyed, enjoyed the company and the conversation. And then we sat around this table to, to, to eat a meal. And they placed this huge plant, plant uh, plate of meat in the center of the table. And then the pastors, uh, they went at it. They began to get their portions and put it on the plate. And I had my buddy, my friend, uh, pastor friend of mine that traveled with me from, uh, from Arkansas with me. And we looked and we just said, I, I just said, okay, uh, let's just dive in. And so I began <laughs> to get, get the meat, put it on my plate, began to eat, eat. And he, he was kind of, you know, antsy, kind of cautious. And so he finally asked, well, what, what is this delicacy? What is this meat? And it was fried goat kidney. <laughs> fried goat kidney. And I didn't think anything of it. Tastes fine to me. But yeah, yeah. then my friend leaned over to me and he said, Ron, do you know the function of a kidney? <laughs> well, I, you know, I went on and I kept eating, so I enjoyed the meal. Yeah, that was that was yeah. <laughs> well, a true missionary, a true missionary. Uh, what we learned is that that the more you ate of that, it was a blessing. I think it was the more daughters you had, or the more children you had, and so and we learned that from the Kenyan pastor once we got back to the states, and so. But we remember, I remember being at that. And I was praying, Lord, um, I they don't have any signs for me to know what I'm getting ready to eat. <laughs> you know how we do a buffet. Yeah, yeah. So I was praying, Lord, let uh, let it be where I get exposed to something that I'm used to, and yet I want to experience other things. So Ron jumped mm -hmm. in before I got to do it. And but I will say this: the thing that I ate, I remember we were also in Kenya. And it was, we went to this restaurant and we got to have zebra. Uh, it was zebra and all the different animals like that. And we took some pastures with us from Arkansas. Uh -huh. And and it was amazing because we literally sat there and they brought out delicacies. Like you go to the Brazilian restaurant when we go to Brazil. Right. And they bring out the meat so you can eat, eat, eat. Well, we were, we were literally in Kenya and they were bringing out the different... Um, animals that they had um, 
cooked and that was different because I had never had those. Yeah. But it was but we ate all of the same and we and really loved it. Yeah. And so yeah. yeah. Excellent. So we experienced well, everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're here with Ron and Star Nelson from Sowing Seeds of Joy. And uh, I'm going to, Ron and Star, if you could introduce yourselves, um, let us know, um, you know, uh, about Sowing Seeds of Joy, what you guys are all about. Uh, Let us know where you're based out of. And then maybe just give us a little information about how you ended up uh, founding Sowing Seeds of Joy, how you ended up where you are. Well, I'm going to ask Star to introduce us, and then I'm going to tell a little bit of the story. Sounds great. Well, well, first of all, thank you, Tori, um, for allowing us to participate in such a, a wonderful venture. And so, of course, we're sowing S-O-W, Seeds of Joy. Mm-hmm. And as a bridge to the nations, a Sowing Seeds of Joy was established really to, to connect, equip, train, and mobilize African-Americans, Blacks, African-Americans, and community of colors uh, for the Great Commission um, and for global missions, I should say. And so our heart is to do that because we saw that there we were missing in action. And when I say that my husband used that, he would say we're MIA missing in action. But when we first joined our, went on our first mission trip in 1980, 1998, 1997, somewhere around in there to Haiti, um, we realized that there were not any individuals that looked like us that were serving on the field in Haiti. And what brought that to our attention was because of the fact that when we got there, the, the, the people call us white Americans. And, and I said, no one in the United States is going to believe that you just called us white Americans. Can I, can I video you? Because nobody's going to believe you just did that. And yeah. so that told me then that, why? first of all, my, the question was, why would they call me white Americans? And, and, and as we kept going and we kept building that relationship with them, they started touching our arms and our hands. They would touch Ron and our daughter. We took our children, but they would touch us as because of you, I will entertain this Jesus. And I realized just because of the color of our skin, we had an inroad, if you will, a point of entry, like what I like to say in order to share the gospel, we needed to have more people that look like us to participate and understand the value of even how God has made us. Yeah, amen. So, so Sowing Seeds of Joy has that passion. We have that passion and we love training and equipping and we want to do it with a spirit of excellence. So I'm going to mm-hmm. stop and let Ron so I don't take all of the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can, he'll tell me that you asked me to go first. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> No, she she uh, she dove right into it. Uh, basically, we never dreamed dreamt uh, we would be doing uh, such work. We both came from two very uh, prominent careers. Uh, Star was a postmaster, and myself, I was a United States Postal Inspector uh, before doing this work. Um, that uh, career, or those careers, at least for myself, was interrupted by a small stint of time as a missions director evangelism and missions director at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship with Dr. Tony Evans. Mm -hmm. While I was in Arkansas as a U.S. Postal Inspector, uh, juggled a number of hats. And by that, I meant uh, served quite a bit with our local church there in Little Rock, Arkansas. Did a number of things from working on the married couples ministry to outreach 
um, prison ministry, a number of things. And then one day our pastor asked us, or asked me if I would take the initiative to start a missions uh, program. I, lo- I don't like the word program, uh, an mm-hmm. initiative <laughs> at our church, uh, which at that time, the name was St. Mark uh, Missionary Baptist Church. And he thought it was, uh, uh, it was smart of, enough to drop missionary out of its name because the church was not doing mission work. Mm. But he, he, he uh, tagged me, if you will. I like to say God tagged me because I was struggling yeah. at the time with this calling, if you will. I was growing quite, uh, quite more in my spiritual walk. And so we're struggling with this calling, if you will. And he pointed out to me, not every pastor or minister is meant to sit, stand in a pulpit on Sunday mornings. And so with that, he challenged me to go and connect with the, the largest church, Caucasian um, church in the city that was doing mission work. And out of obedience, I did that. I love to say out of obedience because that's what happened. Out of obedience, I... I I, I dove in and yeah. started learning everything that they were doing. They were going to Haiti, preparing themselves to go to Honduras. We partnered, and I love that word partner, but we partnered and started learning everything that they were doing and going on trips with them. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we did notice that we were not, um, in, in terms of number, uh, African-Americans going um, we were lacking. Uh, our church, not doing missions, uh, wanted to see more African-Americans on the field. So we took them, came back to our church, showed photos, showed individuals that they knew on the mission field. And as a result, they started getting involved in missions. Um, uh, Star and I later took the course perspective and mm-hmm. it just changed our whole perspective about uh, global missions and cross-cultural missions mm-hmm. to the point that it became a part of our DNA. Fast forward, I accepted a position at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, um, but prior to that, that's when we started sowing seeds of joy. Mm-hmm. Put yeah. it on hold for a while, worked at Oak Cliff for five, five plus years, and then we re-launched, re, uh, if you will, sowing seeds of joy because of the request for to take African-Americans on missions to Haiti, to Brazil, and so forth. Yeah. So, um, Ron, when, when you say, you know, missing in action, um, what do you mean by that? I mean, what, uh, how many African-Americans are uh, being sent out and what would you like it to be? Well, when I say MIA, missing in action, um, let me let me let me say it this way. Everywhere we've gone, the star just told the story about Haiti, but everywhere we have gone, be it Papua New Guinea, the Philippines, uh, Kenya, Nigeria, Haiti, even Mendenhall, Mississippi, mm-hmm. we are asked the question: where is the African American? Because those that we go to serve, they would they would come to us and say, We normally do not see African Americans serving. All right, we generally see our white brothers and sisters, which are which is great, and they do an excellent job, but that's who they see. I remember a little girl in, in Mendenhall, Mississippi. Uh, we went there and we took a team of 60 youth, yeah. African Americans. And we got off the bus 
and she was standing by her dad, who was the director of the ministry that we were serving at. And she said, dad, who are these people? And he said, these are missionaries that come to work with us. She said, no, dad, they could not be missionaries. Why not? Because they're not white. So that's an example of MIA. Statistically, and I think some, there are some people that are starting to, uh, like Bonner and some others are starting to, to um, uh, do some research in terms of numbers. But one of the numbers that was off, that's often quoted is that a half of 1% of the current mission force in the world is African-American, less than 1%, one half of 1%. Mm -hmm. That is changing. I'm starting to yeah. see that changing. And since we've been involved, we've seen uh, progress being made. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like what you said, Ron. Um, it's not always statistics. It's not always what we're taught. It's what we, uh, what's caught. Uh, yes. I remember my first mission trip, um, it revealed some beliefs I had about material blessings. And I grew up the furthest thing from the health and wealth gospel. It was nothing anybody ever taught me. It was just what I brought in from the way I saw the world. And for this young lady, it, it, nobody taught her while well, missionaries are white. It's just, it's just, it, it's not a statistic. It's just how you see, you know, how you perceive the world around you. So Star, okay. uh, I want to go back and ask you about uh, that, that trip to Haiti. And, and of course, trips since then, when you said, um, uh, the, the impact that being African-American had um, on people and, and how it was received. Uh, can you expand on that? I mean, what, uh, what was it about being African-American that really had a, a, an impact on people? Well, if we're specifically talking about Haiti, the first year we went, they were looking at us, we were looking at them. <laughs> mm -hmm. The second year we went, and we stayed with the people. So they were, they started feeling a little bit more comfortable with us. Yeah. And they said, you came back. It says, most people come and it's like a, they didn't say it like this, but we took it like a bucket list. You go and you mm -hmm. check it off. Okay, I've done this. And now, okay, I've done what I'm going to do. And in the third year, we went back. And, our, and the second year we went back, we took our children. We took our daughter who was 13 and our son who was 11 and everyone, our daughter, everyone at the church said, if our daughter do well, then they will consider maybe sending their children. <laughs> but our daughter went, she was everywhere. And she and Ron have the same complexion. I'm a little bit lighter than Ron is, but they kept touching his skin and all this kept saying, you're our people. They said, you are us. And, mm -hmm. and I'll never forget that is because of the fact that they felt welcome. And, and so when I said that, the guy said, because he's literally said to me, he said, I know you're going to come talk to me about Jesus. He said, so why should I, I'm going to go a little bit more in depth, but he felt comfortable by this time. He said, why should I accept Jesus? Because my God, he was talking about, they, at that time he was worshiping voodoo. He said, right. Voodoo, I wasn't in prison. He was, I wasn't a slave. We were free. So why should I trust this God that is white? That's how he felt comfortable mm. enough. But then he turned around and he surprised. He says, but because, and he's touching skin. He said, but because I will entertain 
this Jesus. And I went, oh my Lord. I went, you mean just because of the color of our skin, you would just speak that is the opening for us to share who Jesus Christ is. Yeah. So, and that, that was just in Haiti. And so when I talk about there, there are places that I've, God has allowed us to go into in some serious areas that they have no idea that we are Americans. None, because mm-hmm. we don't dress like we've learned, we've taught people how to dress and how to go and how to serve. And we just blend right on in and, and we could go in and share the gospel and build relationships, yeah. stay in areas and then come back out and you would never know. And it's because, so God has shared, I made you for such a time where you can reach people. I will tell you a story. I was in an area where um, Al-Qaeda is pretty uh, dangerous and in an area where there were some challenges. Ron was in Mombasa. He was preaching and it was during the time, but I was able to go in. And when I went in, the young lady who we've been serving with for quite a while asked them, where do you, she finds this, these are the, this young lady has been responsible for bringing in educational supplies, giving me educational supplies, giving us personal hygiene, sanitary nap, et cetera, to help mm-hmm. take care of these girls. And she asked them, so where do you think they are from? Where did, cause I was with one other young lady and not a one said America, not a one. And so they, she said, Star, would you tell them? She knew a part of my testimony. She said, would you just tell them a little bit about your testimony at where you grew up? And I said, okay, I will. And I share with them how um, God had allowed someone to come into an area that was in the projects in Miami and share the God. They didn't stay in the area because it was dangerous. But what they did, they went in enough to invite my mom and us to church where somebody mm-hmm. else could take the time. And I asked God, why am I here in this particular area? He says, because see, because of the color of your skin, you can go in there mm-hmm. and somebody else can't get in there. The same way I sent somebody to you in a dangerous area, I'm sending you into them in this particular area because someone else may not ever go. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Yeah. So Ron, uh, thinking about that, uh, I do think that um, African-Americans have uh, and communities of color have a unique role to play in God's plan for redemption and in the church. I mean, God made the church to be diverse and said it's something to be celebrated. In fact, it's something required. I mean, imagine if we were all an arm or all a leg and or all an ear and we had nothing else. Um, tell us a little bit about um, how uh, the African-American church community and communities of color are, um, I think, uniquely equipped and what part of the body they serve. I mean, you, you know, sh- um, Star kind of shared how, you know, the color of her skin allowed her to go places that others wouldn't. Um, but what about the culture and the, the, the rich upbringing and the history of African-American church mobilizing and communities of color really prepares them uniquely for mission work? Very good question, uh, Tori. Um, I have to uh, um, approach that this way. Um, those who are not African-American, those individuals of other countries, they know or at least have heard of the African-American story. Mm-hmm. It's a story of hope. It's a story of, 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 it's an inspirational story. 
It's a story that uh, actually speaks of how of God's glory, you know, and our missional history is very, very, very rich. So um, we can take that story and we can go across uh, the oceans, uh, if you will, and we can, we can tell our story. And may, there are many people, people of color, who can relate. I, I had one gentleman in, in Kenya said, Ron, please tell your African, bro our African brothers and sisters that they don't have to bring anything. All they need to do is bring themselves mm -hmm. because yeah. when they bring themselves, they bring encouragement, they bring hope. He says, I love my white brothers and sisters. And this is by, by no means, this is not a white and black thing. I think the enemy right. has done some things to divide us and put the spotlight mm -hmm. on skin color. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. But what he was saying is simply that because one, he and I look alike and because of the story that I bring, he can, he can relate. He feel comfortable. He puts, he lets his guard down. He felt so comfortable that he said, I can take you can, I can take you to lunch and I can pay for it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that meant a lot to him. And so as far as our mm -hmm. culture is concerned, you know, the, uh, the music, the movements, all of that comes into play, you know, um, yeah. especially the worship, the, singing, the, worship. Mm -hmm. the flavor, all of that. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and African-Americans, they are so gifted. They're so talented. They're blessed. OK, to be a blessing. And they can they they don't know. And I say they because one is a lack of education, not to mention all the challenges, but one in particular is education and being exposed. I wasn't exposed to missions till I was age 40. I had not heard the missions message. It wasn't taught in Sunday school. And so that's one of our challenges. And so that's why we do what we do. We expose, we take the medium of short-term missions, all right? And we train with excellence to take individuals to expose them to what God is doing cross-culturally, all right? And yeah. in terms of churches, we, we like to say this term, we meet them where they are. There are churches that are at one level in terms of their, their missional uh, mission work, and there are others who do not have a clue about pro going cross-culturally. And so we meet mm -hmm. them we, where they are, we evaluate, and we find out, okay, what do you need to understand the Great Commission and why it's so yeah. important that you get involved. Because normally when you talk about missions in the African-American community, it's local missions. It's local missions. And there's a whole ton of history behind that right. and why that is so. But, but, but God is calling us to go not only into our Jerusalem, as you very well know, but Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. All right. And we yeah. can take what you're doing here. And I tell pastors and churches this. What you're doing here, what God has so, uh, the assignment is giving you, be it prison ministry, working with the homeless, we can expand that. Where mm. you can take that same thing that you're doing and go cross-culturally. Yeah, neat. And I want to say um, that uh, I so have appreciated working with you guys. Uh, with Sowing Seeds of Joy, we've partnered on stuff with uh, the National African American Mission Council. And and I think it, you said it really well about the devil's work in race relations. And I know, I think, so from a Caucasian perspective, I think often um, 
when we talk about differences, there's something about it that makes me want to say there is no difference. But I think that's, that's not how God created. God created us to be different parts of the body and we should celebrate it. And so I really appreciate the way that, that you guys, um, you guys embrace that and, uh, and, and how I've never felt um, excluded or uh, you guys have always been very welcoming uh, to me. So I appreciate that. The, the other thing that I want to, to make sure that, that I get right, you talked about the story of the African-American and I'm, I think I'm going to read into this, but is that story, is it liberation from oppression? Is that what the story is that people can, because I think that's the story of the Israelites, right? That's the Exodus. It's liberation from oppression. And I think that's the story of the cross, right? It's liberation from oppression, from slavery to the devil. So is that what you mean by the story is one of hope that people can connect with? Exactly. It is one of liberation. The fact that everyone knows the story in the U.S. in terms of race relations and the civil rights movement and so forth, and how as African-Americans, we have, and, I, and I'll use this phrase, we have overcome, and we still are overcoming. The, you know, mm -hmm. as, as you very well know with the recent events and what have you, we still have challenges. We still have things that we have to deal with in terms of race relations and what have you. But, and we've come, we've come a long way, but we got a lot further to go. And that story mm -hmm. is being echoed around the world. And so when you, got, when you have an African-American team or missionary that goes to uh, a nation of color, be it Africa or what have you, that story they bring with them and they are willing, and if they're willing to share and to impart with, um, with excellence, with, um, with grace and, and, and love, uh, I think it's well, well, well received. Because one of the things we, when you go to various countries um, and, and no disrespect to our, our white counterparts, what have you, but uh, they would look at us, as soon as they find out, first of all, that we are Americans, one of the first things they, they harp on is money. Let's, let's be honest, okay? What, right. can you give, what can you give me? Well, <laughs> we train and we prepare our teams that we're going to serve and we're, mm -hmm. we're gonna be taking various resources, whatever, but we're not the bank. But no stretch of the imagination are we the bank, all right? And so when we go into various countries and we let them know that we're here to serve, we're here to, to extend the love of Jesus, our hands to do the work, okay? But we don't have deep pockets. And I'm not saying our, our, our counterparts do, but that's the, that's the perception that we are mm -hmm. Americans and Americans go to give. And, uh, you can get various things from Americans. So right. uh, we train with that, you know, to, to kind of diss that. And, and as African-Americans, yes, we, we've been resourceful. We have been blessed. But uh, overall, we're trying to just, again, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, perfect sense. It's that's fantastic. So, Star, when you guys um, engage with a church that says, "Hey, uh, we know we should be uh, doing missions," I mean, how how do you um, what do you do with them? How do you walk them through uh, mobilizing their people? What what does that look like? <laughs> um, it's amazing because we got that experience um, somewhat when we were at, in Arkansas. 
So because we didn't have a missions ministry help us, we had to literally create a missions ministry. So we got right. a lot of that experience. Um, and so what we do is we assess, like Ron says, we try to meet the church, meet the pastor, meet the leaders where they are. Uh, because you really have to do an assessment. You really do need to know where they are and what is their vision. Um, mm -hmm. Because it can't be your vision. It has to be their vision. Very, very important. How do they understand it's a bigger picture um, globally uh, for the Great Commission? But what is their vision in reaching that goal? So you assess where right. that church is. And you come alongside them. That means, like, for instance, we've had churches that we've walked with them. Some of them, we've, we've walked with them for three years. We will walk with the church or whatever, um, just helping them to establish a missions ministry if they don't have one. Mm -hmm. And that, may right. look, that will look different from each church, um, depending on the size, depending on the pastor, depending on the leaders, et cetera. And so where are they? How much? Because they may say they have a heart for missions, but they have a limit on how far you can go. <laughs> right. So you may, so you need to understand it. So the assessment and building that relationship is crucial. Um, that's why we say, Ron said, we're relational. That first thing is building the relationship with the pastor, the leaders, the church. So they're not thinking you're coming to steal their people. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Take because that's that trust factor is huge. So that relationship piece is first foremost in our mind. Mm -hmm. um, even yeah. though they may say they want us to go on, they want to go on missions for us. It's building the relationship and building the trust first, and that takes going to their services. That not just on Sunday, so you can show that you're there and sitting in the front row. So they can know you're there. <laughs> you don't need to be doing that. But it's, it's a whole nother level of building that relationship. And how seriously yeah. are we? Uh, it has to be very relational and intentional. And, yeah. then, and let me say this, uh, Tori. And it's something that we realize is not going to happen overnight. It's not. No. Mm -hmm. Change a culture of, um, uh, and a mindset of, think of thinking. Uh, we have walked with various churches and we've taken baby steps. Mm -hmm. uh, we, yeah. I remember working, we remember working with one church um, and we worked with them. Uh, at least we did four or five, at least four workshops. And the pastor finally said that, that the church is not completely ready to go overseas, but can we do something smaller on a smaller scale? So we took them from Mississippi to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this is work on the streets of New Orleans. Hey, now, Tori, we're in Texas. So we mm -hmm. would drive right. to, we're in Texas. This is where our base is. We would drive mm -hmm. to Mississippi to train this church over years. Mm -hmm. And so you took, that was sacrifice that took time just to build a relationship yeah. with that pastor and his members. We would set up and do, set up displays, go to service with them on Sunday. We didn't just go on the weekend and turn around and do the training and leave. <laughs> That's not yeah. good. You, you're going to need to stay there a minute, build that relationship. And like Ron was saying, they were not ready yet to go out of country. But then we took them to New Orleans and, and we were working on the Hurricane Katrina items mm -hmm. and stuff like that and then eventually the pastor would work and he would drive down but he sent the members and i mean they did an awesome awesome job mm -hmm. with working and still helping those sisters ran circles yeah. around <laughs> and then eventually what it was a year or two later then they had a, a member that went further and went to belize not ready to go to a haiti or <laughs> nigeria 
but we took them to the belief and that was a step because yeah. we didn't take them to the, the resorts. We took them into the jungle of beliefs. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and I, I love the fact that you guys are so much more than a come in and plan a short-term mission trip. You're looking at the big picture and really trying to mobilize the whole church. Yes. Well, I have to say this, Tori. We are very much keen on discipleship. Yes. I tell individuals that it's not, it's not about the destination as it is as much about the journey. And so from start, from the time they said, I'm interested, to the time they may go on a trip and come back and get debriefed, we are discipling them. Yeah. I have, we have one a good friend of ours who run a very successful um, uh, missions ministry or sending agency. Uh, he said, Ron, you guys do something that a lot of agencies do not do. You truly disciple. Yeah. And, we, and we put a lot of emphasis on that. The other thing is, uh, I have to say this, we set the example. When I say we, there's nothing about Ron and Star that's special, all right? But God gave us this passion, all right? And people look at Ron and Star, and we try to do everything um, to the glory of God, all right? So we decided to set, set that example. And that's important because um, you can't be what you don't see. Mm. All right. You can't That's be good. what you don't see. And yeah. in a number of our African-American churches, they do not see missionaries. They do not see individuals like ourselves who have such passion. OK, uh, I, I remember one pastor um, here in Fort Worth, Texas. I went to a luncheon over 80 pastors, African-American pastors. I'm sitting around a table of about six pastors. I began to share my story and what I was doing. And they were, they were interested. One, one particular pastor, he leaned forward and he just wanted to know more. But finally, after it all said and done, he leaned back and he said, Ron, you know, um, you know this mission thing, you know it's not our thing. You know, mm -hmm. that's what he said. It's not our thing. And, and that's I said, why, well, that's why I, said, I, well, I guess why God gave it, gave it to me. Gave, yeah. it, gave, it, gave it to me, so. And that's why building yeah. a relationship is so important and it takes time. And I know, Ron, we say that quite a bit. And we'll have people come into our offices and so say, how do I engage and get more African-Americans involved in missions? Or how do I get more African-American churches involved in missions? And we say relationship and they hear mm -hmm. it, but they really don't hear it, if, if that makes yeah. sense. Because usually yeah. what tends to happen is, is that they, if you give it a year or you're starting to look for results after a year or so, you may be disappointed because it may take longer for the, the fruit to come from that particular soil or that mm -hmm. particular tree that has been, those seeds that has been planted. Yeah. And, I, and a good example of that is, is that we, like for instance, we reinitiated, like Ron said, we reactivated the ministry, Sowing Seeds of Joy, which we literally didn't do anything with while Ron was on staff at Oak Cliff with Dr. Evans. And so when we reactivated to go into Brazil, we have people that know about that, but they're just starting to come mm -hmm. on board. So you think about that if we had quit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so steadfastness and relationship takes a while. Yeah. So you're starting to hit on something that I wanted to ask. And that's um, what do you guys, because I think you guys are unique 
you know, um, your, your understanding, your experience, your engagement is unique. Uh, you know, what's different that you guys do with churches that other organizations don't do? Part of that is you've already hit on is the relationship. You understand what relationship means. You understand what it looks like. You understand how long it can take. Um, but what else as you go through that process, even as you're starting to put together a trip, um, what do you guys do with, with these churches and teams that really sets you guys apart? Wow, it's, it's an easy question, but it's also a hard one to answer. And by that, I mean, uh, I, I remember sitting down with someone not too long ago, and we were sharing again what we do and how we do what we do. And he made this comment, the one thing that others cannot, cannot do what you do, or at least I do not have what you, that you have, is your heart. Now, that's, that's what makes it hard to explain. I really, and, and Star has already said it several times, I am very serious about being relational, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I respect the pastor. I respect, I, I respect his vision and mission. And I let him know first and foremost that we are a parachurch organization, but it's the church's responsibility to, to evangelize. It's the church's yeah. responsibility as far as the Great Commission is concerned. But God has opened a door for us as a, a parachurch organization uh, to, when he does open that door, to step in and, and to share that passion, um, the experience, um, uh, to help them paint the bigger picture, okay, so they can get, so they can get involved. Um, mm-hmm. how, what, what separates us from, from everyone else? Um, Star, what do you think? <laughs> well, you know, that's a very good question, Tori. Um, I think that because we're, we could come alongside the church and serve the church, we literally, we're not there to take the place of the church. God didn't tell us yeah. this, where they have the church building, we see the people as the church, because that's what he's coming back for. So our mm-hmm. heart is to disciple the people, which is helps to, Im- to encourage or to um, enlarge um, the church itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we're not there to take the place. That's why I say it's important for the pastor to know that we're not there to take his people. Whatever they yeah. are in need of, whatever the vision is, is how to expand it. We could come alongside and be an extension of them to help them get to where they want. And then we move back out. Our desire is to get them to where they need to be or where their desire is to be. And then we move back. We will still help them when needed. But we literally, some churches, we've walked with them for three and a half, four years. We got churches that are literally taking the missions and they're doing it on their own. And they've been doing it for years. And that's, we get excited about that. Um, St. Mark in Arkansas, they're going to Ghana, they're going different places, they got all the youth going, I mean, they, I mean, it's amazing, they've been doing this now since 1998, and you could, and it's generational, now you got people yeah. who would never travel, who wouldn't even go outside the city, now they're traveling and going all over the place, that, we get excited about that, and so, yeah. so for us, the uniqueness about us is that we come alongside you not to take your place or to take your people, we're here to come alongside you and serve you. And then you are branching off and you're doing it on your own and you're continuing to do that. 
That's very, yeah. that's very important. That word, those words come alongside, come yes, alongside. Sir. I remember, I remember our pastor back in Arkansas, he did give us a caution and this is, and this is not said to offend anyone, but he said, Ron, when you do connect and partner with your white counterparts and, 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 and learn all that they're doing, be careful because there's a tendency for others mainly he was speaking of this particular church in terms, not this particular church, but uh, I just say Caucasians to take over. And yeah. I'm, I'm saying, I don't want to say that to offend anyone, but the point I'm making is when I, when we connect with churches, African-American churches, we assure them that we are coming alongside. We're not coming. How to can take, we serve them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How can we serve? Uh, how can we be of service to them? It's the same question we ask our nationalists when we go to a Brazil or uh, right. Papua New Guinea or whatever. How can we serve you? And not that's our I, agenda. Yeah, we don't take it. Not our agenda. God's agenda. Yeah. I, I, ch I <laughs> yeah. challenge other organizations to, to, to connect with churches and just say just simply that, how can we serve you? And it may not be going cross-cultural all, all of a sudden. Yes. You no. Know, find out what that church is doing in their own community and work with them. You, you know, you may be an agency that's going that's sending people abroad. You're doing cross-cultural work, but how about doing some things here at home and working with that church in that community and build that relationship to the point where they say, "Well, uh, I know you're helping us here, but how can we take this further?" And then they might be open to. Mm -hmm. The broader picture, the larger picture. Because, because yeah. you know, in Haiti, in there, a lot of churches, like Ron was saying earlier, they're already doing missions, if you will, of helping the community, and this is done locally. And so, it depending yeah. on wh whose definition <laughs> uh, that mission takes on, who's who's who gives the definition of even the missionary? Because if you ask a lot of uh, African-American pastors, they are involved in missions. It's just not right. cross-cultural. And it may be cross-cultural because they, they may even reach out in their communities to different well, ethnicities and some, you not know about it. Yeah, some pastors yeah. say, I go preach, I preach overseas. So that's my, that's our, that's our cross-cultural work. But I remember my, Lord, I remember my, my aunt, God bless her soul. She's, she's, she's in heaven now, but we were in, we were, at home, my home is Savannah, Georgia. And we went home one year and here comes my aunt through the door and she had just come from church and this function that they had. And it was the celebration for their missionary society. And she was just crowned um, uh, the queen, if you will, for the missionary society she had on her- uh, Sash. Her, I don't know what yeah. you call it. Say it was beautiful. It's her yeah, uh, yeah. And and she had she was donning that. She was very proud that uh, of the missionary work that her church were doing. They had never. Yeah. They, they were not going cross cultural. They were just doing what they were doing, serving in their little community, and they raised a little a little money, and they had this little celebration, and she was crowned the queen of of the missionary society. That's how it yeah. is in a lot of churches, small right. churches. So you mm -hmm. can't condemn right. them. You can't bring them down. You just got to meet people where they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what you are so well prepared to do. You've, you've talked about that relationally. I think I've, in conversations with you guys, 
uh, that sets you up for really helping the teams train and prepare for the field for their trip. I think it helps you really uh, be able to debrief them. You know, you're talking about you're walking with the church three or four years. And I like how you said, Ron, you guys use the medium of short-term missions to expose people to cross-cultural missions so they might launch. Um, I want to, um, I want to ask this. So, you know, if people are listening and they're from an agency that, that maybe is predominantly white or historically white or, or even a church, um, I, I'm thinking about like, my church specifically is, is quite small and we haven't done a whole lot in missions. And in fact, when I'm done here, I'm going to go meet with our youth pastor about, about something for the youth to do. Um, honestly, our church could really, honestly, we would probably benefit by working with somebody because we probably have limited resources, limited people. And so, um, if, if I said, wow, would this be an opportunity? Is there a way for, you know, predominantly Caucasian churches or Caucasian organizations to how do we come alongside um, uh, African-American churches uh, or organizations like yours? Is, are there opportunities to do that? And what might that look like? I think there are a lot of opportunities. First word that comes to my mind, they need to be intentional. Be intentional about making, building relationships. And, and, I'm, and I'm not going to say, don't take no for an answer. Okay, be intentional, um, uh, be strategic in terms of, of, of presenting themselves with a lot of love, all right, and be willing to, to go across various streets and avenues and what have you, uh, intentionally. I think so much, especially in this country, so, so often we have separated ourselves that truly, yes, indeed, Sunday mornings are the most uh, segregated time of the week, yeah. right? But if we do it at work on various jobs, why can't we do it, all right, Monday through Sunday and be intentional about that? Dr. Evans wrote in his book, Oneness Embrace, and in, he, in recent uh, interviews, especially at the hype of this, this racial unrest, he makes the comment that the only way we're going to get through a lot of this is to serve our way out. Mm. It's mm. to serve our way out. And so I would challenge churches and organizations to come up with a plan that they are intentional about going and connecting and working with someone that does not look like them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And hey, Tori, and when you mentioned, say, for instance, for individuals that want to come and serve maybe with sowing seeds of joy and so we welcome that we love that um we love we yeah. literally mentor um a lot of agencies send their individuals or have their individuals connect with us and we mm -hmm. give them whatever knowledge that we can give them um the good the bad the ugly and the indifferent <laughs> it doesn't matter right, who you, right. we, but we've been doing that since the 90s we would People will contact us, so-and-so is getting ready to go on a mission trip, and we know how to help them logistically-wise, um, connecting with somebody else, connecting with an agency. We've done that, and we continue to do that. Yeah. And and I think as for Sewing Sister Joe, we're a small agency. We don't have any um, staff. Ron and I, we have volunteer staff. To God be the glory. Thank God for volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but we don't have the resources because most of our people are, have not raised or have a difficult time raising funds right. to serve with us full time. So we always are welcoming individuals who have a heart 
and have the character that want to serve and, and honor the Lord. So how do you come alongside a small ministry? Um, we need that type of encouragement. It encourages us to see others continue to go out and how can we collaborate and partner together? Yeah. Um, not only um, financially always helps. I could tell you that now. Uh, financial helps us because we believe it or not, we're small, but we have about 20 or plus missionaries that we support. Um, literally, right. um, we may, um, we have individuals, we want them to stay on the field and they are of different ethnicities and different cultures and, and all that we literally support for them to continue the work. And so mm-hmm. there's, I think, connecting with um, agencies, like Ron was saying, is very important. Yeah, the, yeah. Word is, yeah. the word is partnership, true and authentic yeah. partnership. Yeah, and I think that's really key. That's that's what I'm hearing. And that's, um, it can't be like a fad. It can't be a, um, you know, this is my pet project of the next six months. It's got to be, it can't be, uh, well, we're thinking about doing a mission trip and we don't have enough people and I'll call them. It's got to be authentic, right? You said that relationship, we've heard that all the way through. Uh, it, you know, people will sense it if you're just there to use them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, relationship is key. As you know, I, Tori, I sit on the board for uh, Mission on Nexus as their board chair. But what drew me to Mission on Nexus, large agency that oversees over 300 plus, plus churches and agencies uh, in terms of missions. But their tagline, the Great Commission, is too big and too large and too important to be done alone. Mm-hmm. So we cannot do this work by in and by ourselves. And so when mm-hmm. agencies make up their mind, leaders of various agencies make up their mind to understand that it takes it, it takes all of us together, yeah. working together. And don't get me started on John 17. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, well, John uh, 17, is, John 13. <laughs> Our yeah. Lord and Savior sweat blood in saying that our disciples, uh, you know, are to be one. When we yeah. get that, when we embrace that and truly become one, people look out world, look out world. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, Tori, the, the 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 thing is, is that um, our, our we had somebody they told us says your ministry is unique, and. We see sowing seeds of joy, and I told Ron this because it shocked me. They said, we see you as a threat. So that unity, I said, how can they see us as a threat? We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. And going, how can you see us? And and we were told, well, they see us because we're trying to get the same people you're trying to get. And Ron Mm -hmm. and I are like, we don't care as long as God gets the credit. God has to. So how can organizations... They, it's hard for sometimes it's hard for people to see us as missionaries. They don't see us as missionaries that happen to run a missions agency that still right. needs the same support as if we were serving with a, another missions agency. And so that is in a unique. And plus, a lot of people think for us, I'm just sharing this, is that because Ron was with federal, he literally. Uh, walked away from the federal position and went in. And when he mm-hmm. left Dr. Evans, he went from that to zero, just trusting. Yeah. So I think that as, as organizations see the commitment and that the, that we've completely just surrendered in obedience to what God is doing and just trusting him. Yeah. So when we share with churches and share with pastors, they could know we're not coming 
um, and share with other organizations, we literally coming saying, look, this is too important and yeah. too big to be done alone. And let me, uh, yeah. let me applaud uh, SOE, you know, uh, even to do this and to, um, yeah. to, um, uh, to reach audiences, to educate them and what have you um, from the standpoint of saying, you know, we want to work with you. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, one word that really I, uh, I can't stand is I, lo I love competition when I was an athlete. Matter of fact, right. I, was, I was a world-class sprinter. But I love I love competition. Then there should be no competition when we're doing God's work. Amen. There should be no competition, but it comes across that you know SOE, sowing seeds of joy, uh, NAMAC, the National African American Missions Council, uh, Missional Nexus. I can go on and on with team and all. All of us should have the mindset to come together for the cause of yeah. Christ. You know. Yeah. When he said the yeah. harvest is plentiful, uh, what? How hard is it to understand that he says the harvest is plentiful? That means there's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of work to be done, yeah. and we can't get it done, you know, in by ourselves. We need each other. Yeah. So, how can people learn more about sowing seeds of joy? How can they connect with you guys? Well, they can contact us, uh, Sowing Seeds of Joy, uh, by email. Dot address, org. Right? Well, you can go to, the, go to the website. We want people to go to the website, which we are yeah. improving. Tori, thank you. We, we are we're praying. We're, we're literally updating the website. Um, we, we just got to get the time to finish it, but we are in the process right. of updating the website. But you can go to the uh, website, Sowing Seeds of Joy. And, and therefore, they can send us their contact information. Um, um, we love people to go to the website because it gives them a little bit more, at least to where we are now until we get the website mm -hmm. up to date. But it gives them a little bit more idea because so, it shows Sowing Seeds of Joy Kenya that we've empowered because we've been serving in Kenya for over 16 years. So it shows Sowing Seeds of Joy South Africa, who's run by South Africans. Kenya's run by Kenya. Right. It shows different areas that we um, expose people to. So yes, go to the, the website, sowing, S-O-W-I-N-G, seeds with an S, of joy.org. Cool. And we'll put that in the show notes so people can find it easily. So uh, thank you so much, Ron and Star, for joining us and sharing with us today. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm so excited by what you guys are doing and I'm excited for us to continue to partner together. And thank Amen. you, Tori. It's thank, a, you, Tori. thank you for honoring us with this time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Better Mission Trips podcast from Standards of Excellence in Short-Term Mission, or SOE for short. For more information or resources about how to make your mission trips better, or even to become a member of SOE, visit us at our website, soe.org. And a special thank you to Melissa White for producing this episode.